Chapter 22 of Prophets, Priests, and Kings by Alfred George Gardiner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 22 General Booth. When General Booth rises to receive you in his office in Queen Victoria Street, the first impression you have is of the alertness of the lithe, lean form in its frogged coat with the legend Blood and Fire blazing in red letters below the reverend white beard the second impression comes from the eye certain men live in the memory by the quality of the eye alone that was so in the case of gladstone his eye obsessed you it seemed to light on you like a living thing it penetrated you like a sword and enveloped you like a flame it was as though he seized you in his masterful embrace and swept you whither he would you did not question you obeyed no man who ever fell under the compelling hypnotism of that imperial and imperious eye will ever forget it general booth too dwells in the memory by the eye it does not dominate you as gladstone did but it fascinates you by its concentration it searches the thought behind your words it seems with its beady brilliancy to be burrowing in the dark places of your mind you feel that your secret if you have one is being unearthed you are sapped and mined your defences are crumbling beneath that subtle assault there is nothing for it but flight or surrender you emerge from the interview with a new and revised version of the general you went in to meet a saint and a visionary you come out having met the astutest business man in the city you feel that if the tradesman's son of nottingham had applied himself to winning wealth instead of to winning souls he would have been the rockefeller of england he would have engineered corners and squeezes without precedent he would have made the world of finance tremble at his nod when he passes by the stock exchange he must say there but for the grace of god goes william booth his genius for affairs is visible in the vast fabric of his creation the world has seen nothing like this movement that in one brief generation has overspread the earth with a network of social and regenerative agencies you may question its permanence you may doubt its methods but as an achievement the achievement of one man it is a miracle it astonishes by its absolute independence of motive and origin loyola's society of jesus sprang organically out of the roman church wesley to the end regarded his movement as a movement within the church but the salvation army is unique it has no relationship with any church or any system like topsy it growed it is an empire within the empire it is a system without a dogma and without an intellectual interpretation it is in fact a revival movement converted into an organism it is a miracle which could only have been performed by an autocrat and general booth is above everything an autocrat l'etat c'est moi his whole career is a record of absolute reliance on the leading of his own spirit this quality revealed itself even as a boy of sixteen when left fatherless with the burden of a business upon him he cut himself adrift from the church of england in which he had been baptized and brought up and took to street preaching he had been fired by the visit to nottingham of the american revivalist james cowie whose straightforward conversational way of putting things and whose common-sense manner of forcing his hearers to a decision seized his imagination 
he allied himself with wesleyanism gave up business and began his campaign gathering his crowds in the street wet or fine taking them to the penitent form inside reaching the poor and the outcast if in no other way than by songs and shouting wesleyanism was shocked by these improprieties it sought to make him respectable he found himself in his own phrase hooked into the ordinary rut and put on to sermon-making and preaching he refused to be respectable he cut wesleyanism and tried congregationalism he found it bookish and intellectual and turned to the methodist new connection of which he was ordained a minister fifty years ago but again the fetters of restraint galled him he was put on circuit work instead of the revival work he passionately desired the final emancipation came at the liverpool conference of the connection in eighteen sixty one once more despite his appeals he was allocated to circuit work never said william booth never echoed the voice of his wife from the gallery and so at thirty-two without a penny of assured income and with a wife and four young children to support he faced the world a free man and when his movement began to emerge from mile-end waste amid the brickbats of the whitechapel mob and the hideous caricature of the skeleton army the same masterful spirit prevailed he found his ideas hindered by the conference and the conference vanished like a duma in a wave of his hand not even his family must break his iron law his son desired to remain in america beyond the term allowed for service insisted on remaining then his son must go do you question the future of the army the future is provided for i the general have named my successor who will it be no one knows but me not even the lawyers know his name is sealed up in an envelope and the lawyers know where to get it when my death is announced the envelope will be opened and the new general proclaimed it is magnificent and it is war there is the key to the mystery it is war it is still the custom in some quarters to ridicule the military aspects of the army it is inconceivable that the insignia and discipline of militarism can have any literal application to the spiritual realm the thing is a travesty we sing onward christian soldiers but that is only a poetic simile and the christian army sits in comfortable pews outside the range of fire general booth conceived a literal warfare his battleground the streets his army uniformed and disciplined challenging the world with fierce war cries its principle unquestioning obedience it is necessary to remember this when we charge him with being a dictator an army in the field must be ruled by a dictator and his is an army in the field they call me a pope sometimes he says i reply it is the only way twenty people are banded together and nineteen are for taking things easily and if you leave them to themselves they will take the easy path but if you say go that's the path they will go my people now want and wait to be commanded his mistake is in supposing that a dictatorship can be bequeathed cromwell made the experiment and the commonwealth banished a system which derives all its vitality from a personality may fade when that personality is withdrawn for the salvation army is not a church or a philosophy or a creed it is an emotion an emotion 
you look in that astute eye so keen so matter-of-fact so remote from the visionary gleam and ask for the key of the riddle and the truth dawns on you that there is a philosophy behind the emotion when the artful politician sets out on an adventure he appeals to the emotion of patriotism or to the emotion of hate of the foreigner and fear of the unknown so general booth has a practical purpose behind the spiritual emotion he is in a word a politician he is a social reformer working through the medium of spiritual exaltation wesley saw only the celestial city and he called on men to flee from the city of destruction general booth points to the celestial city and he uses the power generated by the vision to drain the city of destruction and make it habitable he is as designedly political as any socialist for it is the redemption of society in the material as well as the spiritual sense that is his aim but politics in the party meaning are forbidden to his followers as absolutely as alcohol change the laws by all means he says to the politician but i am working to change the heart we are tunneling from opposite sides of the hill perhaps we shall meet in the middle he has the enthusiasm of humanity he loves mankind in the mass after the fashion of the philanthropist the average man is touched by the incidental and particular his pity is casual and fleeting his heart goes out at the moving tale he feels for the sorrow he sees but he is cold to misery in the mass and generally shares the conviction of the northern farmer that the poor in a rump is bad the philanthropist on the other hand is often cold to the particular but he has that imaginative sympathy that bleeds for the misery of a world his pity is not casual it is a frame of mind his eyes look out over wasted lands his ears ring with lamentation and an ancient tale of wrong he is not so much indifferent to the ordinary interests of life as unconscious of them general booth's detachment from the world is as complete as if he were an anchorite of the desert he has a single purpose the one prudence in life says emerson is concentration the one evil dissipation general booth has the concentration of the fanatic the fanatic governed by the business mind he carries no impedimenta politics are a closed book to him the quarrels of creeds are unheard literature unknown his knowledge of golf is confined as bajo said of the eton boy's knowledge of greek to a suspicion that there is such a game yet he is the most familiar figure in all the world he has travelled further and spoken to more diverse peoples than any man in any time to hindus by the sacred ganges to japanese by the sacred mountain in germany often in america and australia and new zealand he flashes from land's end to john o'groats in a motor-car whips across to berlin is heard of in south africa yet all the time he seems to be in the bare room in queen victoria street talking eagerly as he walks about and stopping at intervals to take you by the lapel of the coat to emphasize a point all his activity bespeaks the ascetic any amount of work can be performed by careful feeders says meredith it is the stomach that kills the englishman general booth is careful of his stomach he lives the life of a spartan his income has never exceeded that of a curate 
for it is wholly derived from a fund of five thousand pounds invested for him years ago by an admirer a fund which returns to the benefactor after the general's death from the army he draws nothing beyond travelling expenses his indifference to the judgments of the world has in it a touch of genius it is not easy to be vulgar religion like society suffers from the creeping paralysis of respectability the general set himself to shock the world by vulgarity and he rejoiced in the storm he created he had nothing to do with the world of proprieties and good form his task was to reclaim the abyss where the methods of organized christianity were futile my work is to make war on the hosts that keep the underworld submerged and you cannot have war without noise we'll go on singing and marching with drums beating and cornets playing all the time it is the instinct of the business man the instinct of advertisement applied to unselfish ends he is the showman of religion i would stand on my head at the top of st paul's cross if i thought it would bring men to salvation intellectualism has no place in his life theology he leaves to the schools and the churches and modernism is a word that has no meaning for him metaphysics are not a path to the masses and his answer to the new theology would be alleluia his creed is like holmes's i have a creed said holmes it is summed up in the first two words of the paternoster and when i say them i mean them so with the general the religion of the army is summed up in the two great commandments thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself he applies no other formula the dogmas will take care of themselves a man tells us he is a catholic we ask are you a good catholic are you true to the principles of your faith and so with the protestant his banner is as broad as the heavens his methods are his own and he will bend them to no man he never argues he simply goes on as if he did not hear i shall not reply to dr dowie i leave my work to speak for me we must both answer to the great judge of all he is charged with sweating with not paying the trade union rate of wages what are trade unions to me or i to trade unions he seems to say i am saving the lost i am setting their foot on the ladder stand aside his finances have been constantly challenged but he will not disclose them yet his personal probity has never been impugned and when in eighteen ninety two the agitation came to a head and a committee consisting of sir henry james lord onslow mr long and others was appointed to investigate the facts it found that no member of his family had ever derived any benefit from the money raised for his darkest england scheme that the administration had been businesslike economical and prudent and that the accounts had been kept in a proper and clear manner he is charged with indifference to the source of his money i was once reproached with having accepted a donation of a hundred pounds from a well-known marquis it is tainted money they said what if it was give us the money i say we will wash it clean with the tears of the fatherless and lay it on the altar of humanity he has the unconquerable cheerfulness of the man who lives for a cause and has no anchorage in things or possessions my wife is in heaven and i have no home merely a place where i keep some furniture he says but no man i ever met is less weary 
he has the dauntless spirit of youth how old do they say i am seventy-nine what nonsense i am not old i am seventy-nine years young i have heaps of time yet to go around fishing fishing for souls in the same old way with the same old net he is like an idea an enthusiasm that lives on independent of the flesh the flame of the spirit flares higher as the candle gutters to the end he will go out with a burst of hallelujahs and a roll of drums End of chapter 22